The Making of a Leader, Chapter 2 of 2 Kings, as we continue going through both 1 and 2 Kings. The Making of a Leader, Verse 1. Uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, who's the only two people in, in the Bible that didn't die? Yeah. Enoch and Elijah. Okay. Uh, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah, Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him and said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. 
But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. They came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees. But the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. On April the 12th, 1945, uh, Vice President Harry Truman received a message asking him to come quickly to the White House. Come as quickly and quietly as you can. Well, Truman left immediately thinking that the President had some very special job or assignment for him, but to his surprise, when he arrived at the White House, he was ushered into Mrs. Roosevelt's sitting room. She got up, put her arm on his shoulder, and said, Harry, the president is dead. Uh, Truman said he was too stunned to speak. And finally, he managed to say to Mrs. Roosevelt, Is there anything I can do for you? And Miss Roosevelt responded, No, Harry, is there anything we can do for you? Because you're the one in trouble now. <laughs> As you'll recall, we were in the midst of World War II, near the end of it. And President Roosevelt had been the longest serving president in American history. He was a controversial and a dominating leader. Uh, the war was going well, but there were some huge decisions to make. Decisions about Hitler... Decisions about Japan, and decisions about Joseph Stalin's maneuvering so that he and Russia could dominate the post-war world. All the responsibility of leading the nation and the free world was suddenly on Truman's shoulders. And the next day, Truman said, I felt like the moon, the stars, and all the planets had fallen squarely upon me. You know, there's some uh, similarities in our text tonight. One of the greatest leaders in Israel's history is about to be taken. Elijah has been God's man. He's been God's prophet. But you know, no matter how powerful and influential somebody's ministry might be, leaders don't last forever. 
Change is inevitable. People die. New problems emerge. New opportunities present themselves. You know, sometimes we would love to stay in the past or to try to clone the past. But we can't. When a leader is taken, we, we want to look for a substitute. And you know, I, as we try to think about applications to the church out of this uh, passage, just think with me a minute about church life. What if here recently you're the guy who, as Dr. Stanley announces he's retiring from the pulpit of First Baptist of Atlanta, you're the guy to step in and follow him. Would you want that role? What about Dr. Adrian Rogers, Mr. Southern Baptist at Bellevue Baptist in Memphis, Tennessee? Would, would you want to step up after him? I mean, I know for a fact because I knew some folks out of the church when Dr. Charles Page at First Baptist. Uh, when he left the first time to go to Nashville, then he came back, and then he got sick and died with his passing. It was hard on a lot of people. And there's probably, in fact, there are some people in here tonight, you probably remember at Northside when Jack Hudson was no longer the pastor. <clears throat> All of a sudden that person's gone. And there's somebody new. Sometimes we want to find just a clone of that person who just left, Right? But the Lord doesn't tend to recycle the past. He brings somebody new on the scene. The critical truth is when God's leader is removed, everything of God remains. Transition times are times to refocus on the unchanging God. Let me say that again. Transition times are times to refocus on the unchanging God. God. Heard somebody say one time, God buries his servants, but his work must go on. Well, the first thing I want you to see tonight with me is the raising up of a new leader. We see that in verses 1 to 14. Now, I may have put it in your notes, if I didn't, write down 1 Kings 19, 15 to 18, because back in that passage, the Lord had made it clear to Elijah on Mount Horeb that Elisha was the man who would finish what Elijah had begun in this spiritual battle in the land against Baalism. God let Elijah know that Someone else, namely Elisha, would be the one to take up Elijah's mantle. <clears throat> Folks, we have no way of knowing for sure how long Elisha uh, had been sort of like a Timothy serving alongside of Elijah. Remember Timothy serving alongside the Apostle Paul? Uh, we don't know how long Elisha had been alongside Elijah. But now a time of transition has arrived. And, you know, it reminds me a lot of what the Apostle Paul says about this in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul's passing off the scene, and he says to Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry for the time of my departure has come. Timothy had been alongside of Paul. And Paul's commissioning Timothy. Elisha's been alongside of Elijah. And now the mantle is about to fall to Elisha. Now the opening words of the chapter announce for us that the transition has arrived. Uh, we are not only told about the Lord taking Elijah, but we are told that it would be in a dramatic fashion. He was going to be taken up by a whirlwind. Elijah knows something's about to happen. And so he announces for Elisha to stay put. But notice he doesn't seem to be very dogmatic in his command to Elisha. Some writers think that maybe Elijah is testing Elisha. And Elisha proclaims he's not about to leave Elijah's side. They get to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets at Bethel, they know as well that Elijah's about to be taken. The Lord has revealed to all of the above that a transition is about to happen. Next, Elijah announces that he's going to Jericho. Again, he tests Elisha's resolve. Now, we would assume that God himself has told Elijah to test Elisha in this way. The last thing that God wants is servants who have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. You know, is Elisha really going to... Be steadfast the way Elijah has been. You know, that's the problem with too many Christians today, is it not? They, they only kind of want to serve God. They, they want to define all their limits and circumstances. You know, God, I'll do this. I'll go this far, but I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. They kind of want to draw up the terms. Uh, the church today is eat up with that kind of complacency. I think of the lukewarmness at Laodicea and how Christ warned them about this. It's no wonder, I think, that when great crowds set out to follow Jesus, Jesus would always turn to those crowds and he would sort of up the terms. Uh, he'd say something like, no man can come after me unless he denies himself and takes up his cross and follows after me. In Luke 14, he, he talks about excuses and how excuses are not going to be acceptable. And he warns people about counting the cost of being his follower. And if you're not ready to count the cost and go all the way with it, you're not worthy to be his disciple, he says. It's serious business. It's like God is doing that with Elisha. Proving probably to everybody that Elisha is the chosen one. 
And so they go to Jericho. The sons of the prophets there know that, that Elijah is about to go to heaven. And now what does Elijah do? He takes his mantle. He strikes the waters of the Jordan. It divides. They cross over into the area of Moab outside of Judah and Israel where Israel was camped with Joshua before crossing into the promised land. And in verse 9, I believe what we are to see here is that Elisha has passed the test. He's passed the test. He's been persistent. So it's only then, only then I want you to notice that Elijah says what? What can I do for you? Only after Elisha has passed the test. Elijah then says, what shall I do for you? And Elisha requests a double portion. Now what this meant in Hebrew terms was the blessing of the firstborn son. Remember how the firstborn would get the double portion? So in other words, Elisha knows that he is Elijah's successor. He knows that there are other prophets too, but he's to be the main one to carry on Elijah's ministry. And so he wants a sufficient anointing for this task. He knows he's to be like the, quote, firstborn son among the prophets who's going to inherit Elijah's ministry. And so as the firstborn son would get a double portion, he wants the double portion because now he's going to be the leading prophet in the land and that's going to demand a lot of wisdom and a lot of strength. <clears throat> what do you think about this request? Very wise. Very wise. He's recognizing that for God's work, you need God's power. Human power isn't going to get the job done for a supernatural work. It's a wise request. It kind of reminds me of Solomon at the beginning of his reign when Solomon asked for wisdom and that pleased God. Elisha's asking for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Because what, just as a king is going to need what? Wisdom to lead a nation. A prophet speaking for God is going to need what? He's going to need the spirit. If he's going to be God's mouthpiece, just like a king needs wisdom to lead, a prophet needs the spirit, the spirit's anointing in order to speak for God. We would do well to remember what's being pointed out here, how we have to have God's strength for God's work. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 that at the moment of our salvation, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're sealed at our conversion by the Holy Spirit. But Ephesians 5 reminds us that there needs to be a constant filling 
of the Spirit. We're baptized and sealed in the Spirit one time. That coincides with our salvation. But we need the Spirit's help. We need to be filled with the Spirit many times in life. One baptism, many feelings. We would do well to remember that as we try to do a spiritual work for God. We cannot do it in our power, in our strength. What did Paul tell Timothy as he was passing the baton to Timothy? He said in 2 Timothy 1.6, Timothy, you need to fan into flames the gift of God in you. You need to fan it into flames. So again, I think it's very wise what Elisha is requesting here. And again, if he's going to be the lead prophet, he needs the biggest anointing. And Elijah knows what? Elijah knows that this is not his to give. God's anointing, that's not a man's place to give. Even for Elijah. Elisha, if you're going to receive this, it's got to come from who? It's got to come from God. Best I can do is give you a sign. And here again, we would assume this is something that God had revealed to Elijah to tell Elisha. And, and what's the sign? If Elisha is allowed to see Elijah taken up, he can take that as an indication that God has decided to grant his request. Well, what happens in verse 11? He sees him taken up. Verse 12 indicates that Elisha has witnessed the whole thing. He cries out in grief and he tears his clothes. And he realizes what a lot of people today don't realize. Folks, when a spiritual giant is taken out of our midst, the nation has lost a treasure. You know? You know, I think of many years ago, this, this, some of you may know when this was, when America was mourning the loss of Elizabeth Taylor. Well, she was somebody that just made an absolute mockery, mockery out of marriage. Divorcing, trading husbands like you'd change your clothes or something. Mockery out of marriage. But nonetheless, who was she in the eyes of the world? Oh, we've lost a treasure. We've lost a treasure. Folks, the world makes heroes of the wrong people most oftentimes, and it overlooks the true heroes. Today, somewhere, there may be a godly saint, a man or a woman, passes away. Nobody mourns. Nobody notices. But when we lose a, a godly man or a woman, we've lost a treasure. We've got our entire value system as a society upside down who we mourn the loss of and who we don't mourn. 
again, Elijah, he's mourning. I mean, Elisha, he's mourning. He realizes what not only he's lost, but he realizes what is the nation they've lost. They've lost the great men of God. In verses 13 to 14, we see that God has answered Elisha's request, demonstrated by what? He takes up Elijah's mantle, strikes the water, the water divides. divides. Elisha has received the anointing from God that he needs. His request has been answered. Okay, now let's move secondly to see the testing of a new leader. Beginning in verse 15. And what we see here is both good and bad. Let me explain. The sons of the prophets recognize that the spirit of Elijah now rests on Elisha. And they bow to him. That's a good sign. They're ready to stand with Elisha. Then in verse 16, we see something a little bit disappointing. They want to go in search of Elijah. In other words, they're ready to accept Elisha, but they're not quite sure if they're ready to let go yet of Elijah. Maybe God's just taking him somewhere else and set him down. We need to go find him. Again, just trying to make it real practical for this group in here. I wonder how many Sunday school teachers have felt that way when they, maybe some in here that took over a class after somebody else taught that class for a long, long time. And you sort of feel that way. Your class is ready to receive you, but not quite. <laughs> And speaking of pastors, I'm, I know of a pastor one time, he's passed away now, but he said, don't dare, don't, don't you dare ever go to a church that's had a pastor of 30 or 40 years and the people love that pastor. That's good, that's great, the pastor stayed that long and the people loved him. But he said, I want you to remember that probably the next two or three guys, definitely the next guy is going to be nothing more than a sacrificial lamb. Because there'll be the constant comparisons to the guy who was just there 30 or 40 years. And that next one will never be accepted no matter what he does. What are you going to tell the guy about <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess that depends on whether you like me or not. You know? <laughs> Remains to be seen there, right? Uh, that's got to be some of what's going on here. You know, we're ready to accept you. We're not quite sure. We kind of want Elijah back. Maybe, maybe he's still with us somewhere. We just need to find him. And so the first test of Elisha's new leadership is what? How are you going to handle that? You throw water on him and say, guys, go home. Get over it. You say something like that, you're done. So what's he finally do? Okay, go on, look for it. Look for it. You know that Sunday school class? If I raise the hand in here, the class says, can we put a plaque on the wall our previous teacher? Yeah, let them put a plaque on the wall. Let them put a plaque on the wall. No big deal. <clears throat> 
Your first test of leadership will be in how you allow people to honor the memory of those who have gone before. That might be your first test of leadership. Elisha's second test came in the city with the bad water. Here's a real need. Uh, the city is believed to, you know, it's, it's Jericho. It was rebuilt under Joshua's curse. And maybe that accounts for why the water is bad. Because of the curse Jericho had put on it. Not only is the water bad, the land's unproductive. The phrase in Hebrew literally means the land suffers miscarriages. The land suffers miscarriages. It's unfruitful. Uh, could even refer to not only the land suffering miscarriages, but all the women in that town are suffering miscarriages too. Could include bug. Whatever the problem is, Elijah has been God's man. He's always been able to help in situations. God's always used him. How about Elisha? Is he going to be able to do anything? Is he going to be able to help? So Elisha is faced with a real problem here. It's a test. And what happens? Elisha passes this test with flying colors. What's God do? God does a miracle. God does a miracle. It wasn't Elisha. <coughs> Folks, don't think it's Elisha. It's the God of Elisha. But God uses his new servant and everybody sees this. And so probably the people said, Okay, we're okay. We're okay now. Elijah's gone, but we've got Elisha now. Yeah, God's working through him too. We're, we're going to be okay without Elijah. God's still got his man there. We're going to be okay. And then comes maybe the worst kind of test at all. Test of all, beginning in verse 23. Elisha is going to be tested by those who outright reject God. Folks, I know the ESV says small boys, but everybody's in pretty, pretty much agreement. These were young men, probably even in their 20s. And you need to remember what Bethel has become. Do you remember what Bethel has become? Bethel has become one of the two main cities of idolatry in the northern kingdom. Remember going back earlier when Rehoboam listened to the counsel of the young men to be harder on the people? And Jeroboam took everybody unsatisfied with Rehoboam's answers. The kingdom divided. Israel became the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom. Jeroboam took the people, went the ten tribes to the north, the northern kingdom. In Bethel, Jeroboam set up Bethel, a golden calf there to be worshipped. So Bethel had become one of the main places of idolatry and opposition to God. We need to remember that as we read this. 
Because Bethel, meaning the house of God, has instead become a house of idols. And at Bethel, they rejected God. They even mocked God. People at Bethel tended to be enemies of God, enemies of Yahweh. And so this isn't just a bunch of teenagers or young men having some sarcastic fun with Elijah. These are enemies of Yahweh. And by saying balding, to be bald was a... Sorry, David, but it wasn't a, wasn't a compliment. And so what does Elisha do? He curses them in the name of the Lord. God sends two bears to maul them. What's, what's God's message in this? Don't make fun of all people. Don't make fun of all people. <laughs> yeah, I should have mentioned Jerry. And Jerry and Bill and Bob. <laughs> Don't make fun of all people. Exactly. Don't mock God and show respect for his servants. It seems harsh to us, but God means for his servants to be taken seriously. He means for them to be respected. And he doesn't mean for people to trifle with the things of God. And this is going to be at Bethel. Again, a place of idolatry. 42 young men. This is going to be a testimony to all of them. Just like the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, the firefall. This is going to be a testimony to everybody at Bethel. They're on the wrong side. They're worshiping the wrong God because they're worshiping idols. They need to turn to Jehovah God. And this is going to be a testimony to them that the power of their God uh, the power of Elisha's God can do something like this. Their gods are dead and powerless. Well, some lessons tonight. God will test people to see if they're really committed to following Him. God will test people to see if they're really committed to following Him. Number two, we must do more than hold the title in a position. We must do more than hold the title in a position. We need to be filled with God's Spirit. Number three, people must focus on God, not servants. He takes one away, gives another. And each one is uniquely different. Fourth lesson, mankind will test God's servants, sometimes in very unspiritual ways. Mankind will test God's servants, sometimes in very unspiritual ways. And lastly, to mock God and to reject his servants is to encounter a certain judgment. Even if not immediate, 
Judgment. Judgment's coming. Okay. Anything that you want to add to tonight? Anybody? Richard? Uh, Paul, uh, Paul said to follow him and Mark. Mark those that follow him. Um, apparently he was ready to go at the time. And so he said, Mark those that follow me. Those are the, those are the ones that are, are strong in the Lord. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, this is mm -hmm. kind of like similar. And uh, you mentioned about the, the teenager mocking. Well, the teenager broke into our church and then wrote horrible graffiti all over the altar. It was a real mess. The police finally caught him after a while and dragged him in. They asked the pastor, what are we going to do with him? And one made a hate crime. It's a hate crime. And the pastor said, uh, well, have him sit up in front with, with his father and sit through the, the sermon. And he did apologize. I thought you said the preacher was going to preach on this text. <laughs> Were they killed? You know, the bears, they said they tore them apart. Were they killed? Yeah. Oh, because the Bible just said, oh, they were tore up. Maybe a couple scratches here and there. You know, they were killed. That were standing up on off, did they see Elisha taking up in the whirlwind? No. Oh, they knew it was going to happen. Some, some told them that going to happen to Elijah. He's going to be taken from you. But no, Elisha's the, the one who saw it. Exclusively him mm -hmm. as an indication that Elijah's mantle was going to fall on him. Just a sidebar on your anecdote about <coughs> pastors following longtime pastors. I've seen in my short tenure on the planet that very occurrence at least twice. And it played out just like you said. Yeah. In fact, I don't think I can name of a case where it's worked for the next guy. Are you saying it's going to be hard for us to get another? <laughs> just, just a thought. Uh, you got to just keep on keeping them. <laughs> well, thank you, brother. All these over here can tell you what I'm talking about, too. Because of where y'all were. Northside's never got over Jack Hudson. Never has got over him leaving and, and dying. 
Okay. Yep, that can happen too. So it took him a couple of years before he could even try to change him. Oh, yeah. I don't know if everybody heard, but that can be a problem too. If a church has a pastor who's a rascal and does some corrupt stuff, it can be hard for that church to trust new leaders. So that can happen as well. Yeah. 